Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 4th, 2021. Happy Easter to everyone out there. Uh, welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, a big show tonight for Easter Sunday. Uh, Kara Turrington, a political consultant out of Nashville who works nationally, um, is going to join us and talk about all kinds of different things, including her work on Nina Turner's congressional campaign and Tennessee politics and life and, and what have you. And that will be about 20 minutes uh, but until then, we're going to discuss some issues of the day. And last week, our lead story that we discussed for quite a while was the um, voter bill uh, that had passed the um, Georgia House and Senate and was signed by Governor Kemp and, and resulted in much, much controversy, uh, to say the least, a lot of national attention. Well, um, I want to say it was Friday. I know it was late in the week. Uh, Major League Baseball announced that they are going to pull the NBA, uh, sorry, the, the um, Major League All-Star game uh, from Atlanta. It was scheduled for um, Truist Park. I'm trying to get the name. They've changed that name from SunTrust to Truist. And, of course, they played in other stadiums in the past. So they're pulling it out. Um, and this kind of does not – This has, there's precedence for this. And then uh, several years ago, the Charlotte Hornets and the city of Charlotte were supposed to – host the NBA All-Star Game, and um, the NBA pulled the All-Star Game because of what was known as the bathroom bill. And so this is much in line with that. Um, and people have talked about other things that might possibly happen, but this is, I guess, a little more doable than, say, Delta or Coca-Cola uh, possibly moving their headquarters, uh, moving a game. But it got a ton more attention, and it's gotten a lot of backlash. Uh, Tim, I get the a feeling of the three of us, you're the biggest baseball fan, so I'll get your thoughts on this one first. Well, uh, you, you know, I wish a lot of these folks had done something before this bill passed, but I'm at least glad that Major League Baseball stood up and actually did something instead of just saying something like some others have done. Um, but but this GOP war on baseball, this, this is like their war on the NFL that they had, their war on the NBA that Trump had, their war on Hollywood, Disneyland, the media, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. These people... Love their culture wars, don't they, guys? It's, uh, but but this is part of a larger problem for for the Republican Party. Um, any boycott's going to cost the state some money. Any large organization or corporation who who even criticizes this new law. 
are, are suddenly on the bad side of Republicans talking about pulling Coca-Cola out of their offices and stuff. But can the GOP declare a culture war on all of them? I, I, I don't think so. And is Major League Baseball going to be hurt or helped because they left Atlanta? Well, I think it only helps. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a tricky um, situation in a lot of facets. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts on them uh, moving the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and draft, actually. The draft was supposed to be held the same weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like Tim, I wish that all these uh, companies and organizations had done something before the bill was signed. That would have been helpful. Um, but – I'm glad that they did this. I think it um, show, shows a support for uh, Georgia voters, and it sort of draws a line in the sand that, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna behave in ways that that are, uh, I mean, I, I can't help but say it that if you're gonna do racist things, you're gonna get punished. And uh, I think that that's good. I just wish that they, like Tim said, I wish they'd done it earlier so that maybe we could have stopped the bill and kept the um, the good business and, uh, you know, continue to bring in the revenue for Georgia. Um, I think it's really interesting that they all complain about cancel culture and then they actually do cancel culture. <laughs> Um, you know, I think Tim alluded to the fact that some representatives uh, in the Georgia legislature have uh, asked Coca-Cola to no longer supply them with Coca-Cola products. Come on. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, there's probably no product more synonymous with the city of Atlanta than Coca-Cola. Um, Coca-Cola in many ways put Atlanta on the international map. Right. And, and this, you know, uh, punishment for standing up for your value, for the corporation values is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it is, it does have, definitely has racial elements to it. And so, Catherine, you're definitely right about that. But more than that, it's just anti democracy. Because theoretically, you know, they could just decide that a county that was very, very white, like, say, a town county or a union county or a Fanning county up on the Tennessee state line, that they just didn't like their local results. They thought something was fishy and they just voided them. And that's not – that wouldn't be racial, but that would be anti-democratic, small d, based on our democracy. And so it's just an attack on you know, local democracy, which is in no way American. Um, and, and so I think well, there's – also no way small problematic. government. It's what? No way small government. You know, these are no. the small government people. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's very much a, um, uh, an attack at local control. I think what we fear is there'll be some county that has very democratic results and most likely in our racially identifiable democracy, as Bill Shipp coined like 18 years ago, that probably it would be a county that was very diverse 
that the state government could possibly void. Um, one thing I think the Republicans ought to realize, though, if this doesn't work, and it may not, and, and Democrats might be in control, certainly of the governor's mansion and in time the state house and state senate, if this nonsense is on the books and stayed on the books – that would give Democrats control to do this. Now, I hope that Democrats would appeal that part of the law in, in addition to everything else. I hope somebody says, I don't want this control because this is dead wrong. It ought to be what the people want, whether it's me or my opponent. It's what the will of the people are. No. But they could be giving that control up, couldn't they, Tim? Yes, they could. This could backfire easily. Uh, on the Republicans, and I really do think this is charged our base of voters up. They're not going to forget this. They're going to crawl to the polls next year on broken glass if they have to to vote. Now, watch watch them all do it because they're coming and they're going to do it. You know, Georgia is adding about a 1,000 new residents daily now. We're growing at a rate of about 350,000 people a year. The demographics of this state are changing uh, pretty quickly now, and it's, it's more rapid as the days go on. And let's just call this what this is. They changed the law that they passed in 2005 to help them win, and they reversed themselves and changed that law now. So they could do the same thing again. This is all about winning elections, and they're targeting, uh, you know, an integral part of our base, in this case, black voters in this state, uh, with this law. And, uh, you know, it's that simple. They can, they can say, oh, it's about security, it's about this, it's about that, it's about that. No, it's not. It's about winning elections. That's, that's what it's about. And they know that, and everybody that follows politics knows that. And I just don't think this is going to work. Let me ask y'all a question. What are Republicans talking about right now? Are, there, are they saying, well, here's our health care plan? Are they saying, well, here's our infrastructure plan? Here's our jobs plan? Here's our economic plan? No, they're, they're, they're fighting culture war. They're doing that to keep their base of voters ginned up to vote because that's all they've really got right now. Yeah, I mean the the new uh, the newly erect, elected congresswoman from Staten Island, she put on Twitter her new Dr. Seuss uh, shoes to own the libs and fight cancel culture, and it had uh, you know the theme from the cat in the hat. It didn't have the the. Uh, Asian caricature. It didn't have the African caricature, which has been the one they're, um, you know, pulling off the shelves. It had the cat in the hat, which hadn't been canceled, <laughs> hadn't been pulled off the shelves. So what are we talking you know, about? And, one, and that's not what anybody elected to see her fashion. Well, let's get back to this with baseball. Um, I will, will say I was a bit surprised in that if you look at baseball, baseball is in in trouble in many ways, and we're almost going to get into something else besides politics, but it does fit with culture and demography. Um, there is a book talking about how younger – the kids are all left. It's talking about how younger voters are um, becoming more democratic, more liberal on many issues. And the author, he 
opens the book up talking about baseball. And he talks about how if you're baseball and you're becoming older and wider and your uh, base of, you know, watchers is getting older and dying off, what do you do? And then he, he comes up with a scenario where you don't let foreign players play and, and you do this and do that. You double down on, um, you know, what made baseball great 80 years ago or whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Or do you try to modify and, and open up the game? And, and what I'm getting to is baseball, the fan base is wider and more Republican than the NBA, than the NFL, than Major League Soccer. Um, I don't know about NHL, but it is a fan base. So they took this stand, which is even more courageous when you consider that. Tim, how surprised were you that baseball did this, understanding who their base is and, I guess, who they want to attract to be more uh, viable long-term? Baseball is a national game. I don't necessarily agree with many of the things that that author you quoted said, by the way. Baseball is a national game. It's not just a game down here. You, you, you know something? Do you know why Major League Baseball actually finally allowed Major League Baseball to locate from Milwaukee to Atlanta. You, you, you know what the city of Atlanta had to do and the state of Georgia had to do to get them here? Be more progressive on race. No, no, no. <laughs> well, they do. The, the stands, the fans in the stands were segregated. There were what? seating areas for minorities. There were seating areas for whites at these minor league games like the Atlanta Crackers, the, the, the state had to change that. And then Major League Baseball allowed, you know, Atlanta to get a, a franchise. Major League Baseball has been uh, not behind the curve in civil rights. They've been ahead of the curve. Well, well, Tim, I said they had to be more progressive on race, and that would um, fit that definition. But, no, what I'm saying is is I'm not saying that baseball itself. I'm just saying that the demographics of the sport, I mean, the NBA would align more with the demographics of this move. The um, NFL would align more with the demographics. Well, the MLS would align more with the demographics. And so, I, and like in many ways, I say this is more courageous, and this more this may as long term vision. They probably know that in 2050, 2060, they can't be as profitable with the current uh, demographic makeup of their fan base. They have to diversify their fan base. Now, let's talk yep. about the Braves. After Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game, and I'm sure it was highly disappointing for the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Braves pretty much threw Major League Baseball under the bus. Catherine, what was your thoughts on their statement and their reaction? Now, Catherine knows why. Hello, yeah. Catherine. I don't know why. <laughs> yes, you do. You told, you told us this week about the owners of the team, remember? Oh, you mean about Hank Aaron? Well, no. Uh, what, it was either you or David when we were texting this week mentioned the owners of the team and who they were. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it was, I guess it's still Liberty Media, but the Braves have had a history of supporting Republican candidates, including, uh, you know, having a, well, being a co-signer for a fundraiser for Brian Kemp. It's actually highly unusual. Um, well, I think we discussed this on the show before. Um, you know, if the individual person owner of a team donates to a campaign or supports a campaign, that is well within their right. I mean, Arthur Blank does give to candidates. The Atlanta Falcons, I don't think, have ever given to a candidate. I don't think the Atlanta Hawks have ever given to a candidate. I don't know if Tony Ressler has become involved in Georgia politics being a California citizen. But the Braves, I don't believe, have an individual owner. There is no more Ted Turner. It's more – I mean, there is a Ted Turner. He's just done on the team. Um, but it's Liberty Media. But it's very strange. But the Braves okay. will donate to candidates as an organization the, and typically Republican candidates. The, the two principals in that company, uh, the two of the highest-ranking people in Liberty Media, were big Trump supporters. Yeah. But, big I mean, Trump supporters. It goes to follow suit that the Braves are going to be the same way. They're, they're, you know, hierarchy. Yeah, you would think that they would um, have their supporters. I mean, I'm sorry, their individual owners give money, but not the team. Um, you know, to me, that seems pretty um, a bad business in a lot of ways. But they defended kind of this whole. They kind of gave uh, Brian Kemp and the other Republicans in on this. Uh, tried to give them some political cover. Catherine, I'll, I'll get back into the first part of the question we had for you. What were your thoughts on the Braves' um, reaction? I wasn't surprised. Um, I mean, it's a disappointment. So, you know, of course they're, they're going to be – they're going to express their disappointment. But I don't really care what they think. I mean, yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I was really proud of the MLB for standing up for this. I, I really was. I, I, I was I was surprised when I read about it because um, it is a bold move for many of the reasons that you mentioned, David, that, you know, we don't typically think of um, – Major League Baseball as a, I mean, I think Tim's right. It is, it has been uh, historically, they have a legacy of being progressive, but we just don't think of it that way. We think of it as, you know, sort of uh, not as uh, bold or um, modern as uh, the NBA or the NFL. So I was um, very happy and I thought, I think I said in our, um, text in our chat that um, I think that Hank Aaron would have been really proud of it too. I mean, yeah. pr- probably a little bit disappointed for the Braves, but overall um, pleased with the um, stance that the MLB took. Yeah. Well, I want to go ahead and change gears uh, right now and welcome into our, our guest into the Kudzu Vine for the first time, Miss Kara Tarantine. Welcome, Kara. Hi, great to hear your voice. How are you? Oh, doing good. I hope you are. Um, well, Kara, first off, since you haven't been on the show before, uh, just start off with telling us about your biography with a you know a political bent to it. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, my name is Karen Sarsad. I hail from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, on a, a farm there called Tennessee Political and just joined forces with a dear friend of mine, Tuck Rocha, to um, start a media firm called Black Brown Partners. And so, um, you know, I work on the communications bit, telling stories, um, helping candidates um, build their platform and communication strategies and I had the opportunity to work with candidates all over the country, um, including doing some work with uh, Chuck on Bernie Sanders in the 2020 primary. So I'm uh, really excited to be here. Yes. Um, well, yeah, and Chuck's the one that sang your praises the last time he was on the show. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about something because you were the one that brought uh, my attention to it, and that was a site called Paper. And you and you don't talk about the site itself. You can talk about your site on it. You created a site that almost makes it where you can contribute to the news, and it's a really nice um, uh, feature for both the reader and for you at your firm. And you can, of course, give the a way to, for people to reach your particular site when you're doing that. Yeah, um, so, you know, uh, paper.ly, currency political is there. It's just a great uh, kind of uh, culmination of different news stories, political stories of the day, comes out every day, and um, just kind of puts all in one place uh, the latest and greatest on political happenings, you know, what's going on in Congress, what's happening in state legislatures. It's kind of a big news of the day in one place, so I enjoy helping curate those stories and and kind of just help folks stay up to date on what's happening. Yes, I, like I said, I had never seen it until, I guess, on the tw- your Twitter feed. I started seeing about it. I looked. I was really impressed. I thought, man, Kara Turntine's doing a good job utilizing this as a, as a way for people to know about politics, but then also know about your angle on politics. So uh, kudos to you on that. Um, well, Carrie, you had mentioned that you hail from Tennessee, uh, up in Nashville, mm-hmm. and I've been, um, you know, seeing some political news out of Nashville and some legislative news, and I've seen a lot of controversy surrounding the mm-hmm. historical commission up there. Uh, can you give our listeners just a, a snapshot view of what's going on, and then I may have some follow-up questions out of that? Well, you know, the historical commission, just a few weeks ago, made the very, very, um, very, very, what seemed to be a very, very tough decision because uh, it's taken so many years to get this done to finally remove the Nathan Death Reform uh, from our state capitol into a museum. And so that decision was finally made after multiple protests over long periods of time. Uh, the commission at the behest of the governor, at the behest of state legislatures, at the behest of the people standing out uh, at the Capitol protesting day after day, and look, it's time to take the Nathan Bedford Forest bus out of a place of honor in our state capitol and put it into a museum where it belongs, um, a place where we can reflect on history, learn from that history, and not repeat um, or honor the mistakes of our history. So, uh, so that decision finally happened, and our uh, Republican-controlled uh, state legislature has determined that they want to replace everybody on the commission that that um, voted to remove the bust. So that's the that's the short of it. 
Yes. Now, I mean, I think there's a range of figures in history um, that have been, you know, come under scrutiny um, in the past. But Nathan Bedford Forrest, I mean, known for the, um, I guess, in many ways, the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. Politically, that's really not a hill you want to die on, would you think? Well, you know, this is the Deep South, and so this is this is um, it is a big part of the the factual history of of uh, our state. And I don't know that it's a hill that I would want to die on as as a you know progressive Democrat. Uh, definitely not. Um, but there's certainly there's certainly, especially um, we saw under the previous administration this this very, very strong need to uplift these kinds of divisive ideas and, and very racist ideas um, and to lift that history up as a way to excuse its its boiling head, you know, that we've seen here in recent days. And so um, this is just a step, I think, in terms of, you know, putting putting the history that Bedford Forest represents in its its proper place, which is in a museum, again, where it can be an educational tool, um, but certainly not in a place of honor in our state capitol. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of loyalty um, on the Republican side to this issue, um, but it's and it's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even think this is a hill uh, conservative Republican went down. Like, for instance, in our past legislative session here in Georgia, uh, the Republicans, um, uh, you know, passed an anti-lynching bill. And, I mean, if it would have been 1921, that would have been a really progressive piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. But in 2021, you weren't really, you know, <laughs> moving the ball forward. At the same time, you're doing this voting bill, which we were already talking about. So. Because um, yeah, it, Republicans are usually really good about doing something that would have been really amazing 50-plus years ago. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to uh, Catherine, who has other things to ask about. They'll pass it back to Tim, and it may come back to me towards the end. Catherine? <laughs> hey, Kara, thanks so much for taking time on Easter Sunday to be with us. I'm glad really to be with it. you. Yeah, of course. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, there's all these uh, horrible, in most cases, uh, voting suppression laws happening across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. Georgia just, you know, our governor just signed ours, and it was quite a quite a nightmare. Um, and I, I'm just wondering how uh, political consultants are um, strategizing around getting the voters out. Uh, considering these um, new, this new sort of rampant uh, sets of legislation across what what is it like twenty seven states I think something like that yeah. I just wondered if you if you thought about how you're going to approach that um, in the upcoming elections. Yeah. You know, it's really unfortunate to see what's happening. Um, you know, I believe there's over 250-plus bills that are aimed at targeting uh, folks that would leverage absentee voting, mail-in voting, drop boxes. Um, you know, we saw in the general election, due to the pandemic, a need for people to be able to vote safely. And many states adopted um, op- options 
for voters that they, they, they didn't have before. You know, everybody wasn't able to go do early in-person voting or mail-in voting, whereas some states have been doing it for, for many cycles. And so what you see here is a culmination of work of the, the activist community, um, the uh, operatives like myself, you know, the candidates, uh, the community leaders who have come together to make sure that people understood the rules because the, the rules were changing due to the pandemic and made, made folks educated about how to participate. And we saw this record turnout in the election. And because those elections did not swing to Republicans, there is this effort to um, chill the access to the box. And, and that's really, really terrible. And so, you know, as an operative, I'm thinking about, you know, how do I re-educate voters on how the rules will change? You know, it was not a surprise to see after our Democrats win the White House, uh, hang on to the House, and, and, and voters delivered the Senate. It was not surprising to see Republicans make an effort to uh, suppress the vote. But what is unfortunate in, in 2021 that it's it's criminalized to pass out water. It's criminalized to give food <laughs> to people in the voting line. It it, it becomes a, a, a an act against the law to be a good neighbor. And look, if you you know if you've been paying attention, I mean Texas froze over. We had tornadoes and flooding right in Nashville. What happens is is that good neighbors get out there and they do what? They give out water. They give out food. They help their neighbors. And so. If folks have to already stand in line for hours at a time because the Secretary of State will only have one voting location open, and then we're in a in a COVID situation where only just a few people at a time can even get in the building, then isn't it just the American way? Isn't that just what a good neighbor does to, to pass out water and food, to especially to senior citizens that are waiting in line to vote? What is criminal about that? And so I think what we have to do as operatives is that we're going to have to uh, continue to be clever. You know, if we have to try to get people what they need on their way to vote, um, then that's what we have to do. I mean, we don't want anybody to to get connected to the criminal justice system because they're voting, right? And we and this is just I mean, this right, is what we're exactly. calling the Jim Crow Jim Crow 2.0. I mean, I, you know, am I going to get arrested because I pull a pack of crackers out of my purse? and give one to the lady behind me, you know, people are dealing with um, issues like diabetes and high blood pressure, and, and they may need water. They may need something to eat in line. But you force folks to have to make a decision about do I exercise my right to vote, do I, do I, do I stand in 100-degree weather in Georgia and, and have a stroke because it's a crime to give me a bottle of water. I think that that's ridiculous. And so, you know, we're just going to have to get clever if if the issue is is you know Republicans are trying to chill the excitement and and a lot of the tactics that are being used to get people off the couch and out uh, to the voting line and engaged in the in our democracy, um, then we're just going to have to continue to get clever and it's going to you know cause our activist community and our and our local neighborhood leaders to really put our heads together about how can we support what I call voter comfort. Um, in these upcoming cycles, and we really have to have to get on it for 2022. And I think there are ways to do it um, to make sure that voters come to the come to the line prepared to stay for the long haul. So 
these are something that we're thinking about. Those conversations are happening um, all across the profession, and it, it's going to take the, the collaborative work of the activist community and, and the local leaders to really figure out how do we create space for voters to get ready for a strenuous uh, voting experience based on what we're seeing Republicans try to do across the country. Yeah, and especially when you look at um, some of these statistics that we've seen in Georgia, I can't remember the exact numbers, but the wait times for predominantly white precincts are very low, you know, Mm -hmm. under Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. And then for the predominantly um, uh, Mm African-American, Latino, Asian communities, they're, you know, upwards of an hour or longer. So for these Republicans to try to claim that it's not about race is just, it's just preposterous. They're not doing anything to, I've always said for years, I've said that to me, it seems like the way you, we should evaluate a secretary of state and a local election board is how high our voter turnout is and how high our registration is. seems to me that their job should be to encourage and engage voters, not to um, try to limit voters, which is what they seem to be, I mean, in the Republican-dominated states, which is what they seem to be doing. So I'm really glad to hear that these conversations are already starting because, you know, it's like you said, it's going to take, you know, work from activists and and organizations and uh, political operatives to make this uh, work out for uh, for Democrats or, I mean, just for everyone. I mean, it, yeah. you know, like David often says, like, we want everyone to vote um, because we, I want that because I know that when everyone, when more people vote, the people I like usually get elected. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I mean, and that's exactly what this is all about. When, when the poor, when when poor people that, that need, you know, policies like an increased living wage um, or access to health care, start voting, then they'll start voting out these people that are saying, hey, you know, you don't really need that. Um, You don't really need to make enough uh, to feed your family. You just need to make enough for me to have enough profit. Don't vote me out. Um, And instead of winning fair and square and letting every person vote, um, then they change the rules and it cuts people out of voting. It it makes it difficult for folks that work – you know, certain shifts to be able to vote. It makes it difficult for seniors with those long wait times. Um, and for young people to who we, we need to try to create a culture of voting for young people so that they start voting every election. And, and sometimes they often get turned off or turned away from the process because it's so difficult. So there's, there's a lot of issues with, you know, what's going on, but I just encourage people to, you know, always check your registration status, make sure your address is correct. Um, you know, if you voted in this last election, just stay up to date, just like you would with anything else, like your car insurance or your driver's license. You know, you have to just check your voter registration to make sure you haven't been taken off the rolls for no reason at all. Um, and right, and also, something that we're, mm-hmm. and also that they haven't changed your precinct. That was a big thing that happened oh, yeah. in Georgia, like precincts were getting changed and that people weren't being notified uh, in a in an appropriate amount of time. So 
there's just a lot there's a lot of um uh, pieces that are that have to all come together and we all have to be try to be responsible to make sure that they're uh, that we know where uh, what our status is and where we vote and also help our friends and family and coworkers to make sure that they know because sometimes you know it's our job as you know yeah. sort of community oh, leaders sure. or whatever we are yes. to make sure that everyone's got their uh, ducks in a row. Well, thank That's you very right. much. This is very helpful. I'm going to pass it over to Tim now. Okay. Tim? Good evening, Miss Turrentine. Thank you for being with us on this Easter Sunday. I'm excited um, to be first, here, Tim. First thing I wanted to ask you about, because you know this district, Ohio's 11th district is 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 a reliably Democratic district. Now, Marsha Fudge resigned her seat on March the 10th, but mm-hmm. Governor DeWine set the primary for way down on like August the 3rd and the general for November the 2nd. Now, a cynical guy like myself would think that the governor did that to keep a Democrat out of that congressional seat as long as possible. Would I happen to be right about that? Well, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, it is unfortunate that the seat will be empty for almost the entire year. And that Mm -hmm. is, that's a seat that is, um, you know, deeply blue and the people of Mm -hmm. the 11th congressional district deserve to have representation um, and, and so that seat will be empty due to the special election. But um, I am confident, that, you know, my, my candidate of choice is, is the incomparable Nina Turner, and I'm confident that uh-huh. she will will succeed uh, Secretary Fudge um, and go on to Congress and be able to, um, on day one, start delivering for the people of Ohio 11th. So it's unfortunate that the seat's going to be empty, but I know that we're on our way to getting a great woman um, into that seat August 3rd. Mm -hmm. Now, now you work for a lot of progressive candidates. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you as a progressive at this time rate the first two and a half months of, of Joe Biden's presidency? You know, that's a great question. I, you know, as a as someone that works in this profession for a living, as someone that, you know, votes every single cycle, as someone who uh, grew up poor, um, I, I have student debt, I have, you know, baby boomer parents that depend on their Social Security and Medicaid, um, you know, my sister is a former military, my dad, former military, Cousins, I mean, you know, as, as a as a, an American patriot that loves this country, um, I am excited about, you know, the, the future of this country, and I say that um, with all the intensity. I mean, I'm just so mm-hmm. glad to have survived uh, the previous administration, and, and if you're a black person in this country, kind of surviving the previous administration is a real feeling. Um, because there was so much effort to just kind of silence and mute folks. And so now that President Biden is there, um, you know, let's look at the last, let's look at the last two months. I mean, we are dealing with a pandemic. Um, The Biden-Harris administration has done great work at at getting shots in arms. Um, 
making sure that the rollout is successful state by state has been difficult because there has been resistance to um, making sure that you know it's it's given out equitably so many community of color many communities of color are not getting the vaccine at the same rate as other folks um so that's something that we've got to deal with but you know 100 million shots in arms so far and climbing uh so so when we think about you know is the Biden Harris administration addressing the pandemic Yes, we we see the vaccine is getting out there. We see that more and more people are going to be eligible. And, you know, Delta just, there was just an article about Delta Airlines and how a million people traveled this week. So folks are getting their COVID shot, hopefully, and then they're getting out there and moving. You know, we're moving into the summer months. So the the world is ready. America is ready to come back outside. When we Mm -hmm. think about when we think about the American uh, Rescue Bill, you know, it was a great start, a lot of money into government, uh, into small local and municipal governments, a lot of money to get kids back in school. It was really unfortunate that the $15 an hour minimum wage did not make it into that bill. That was really, really awful because what we have to think about is that, you know, people are dealing with being behind on their rent. They've been, they're, they're behind on their insurance. They're behind on their car note. Um, they've been laid off, some folks for some for quite a while, and they're and they're doing the balancing game. And for many folks, they got their relief check, which is a great thing, but it could have already probably already been accounted for by the time they got it in the mail. Because some folks are just you know starting from behind due to being laid off. And so, when we ask people to go back to work, and we finally you know fully open back up. We want folks to be able to go back to a job that's going to pay them enough to catch up, pay them enough to to feed their families. And it's unfortunate that happened. And and that's not, you know, that's not on Biden. I mean, we had some some resistance to that in our own party, and and that's what's really mm-hmm. really difficult. Um, so you know, uh, Senator Turner just had a great uh, article in the Guardian um, talking about how we've made really good. Um, I mean, a really good start many miles to go in order to really make sure that, that the working people of this country get back on their feet. So yeah. um, I'm excited to see where we are. I think we've got a long way to go for folks to get back on their feet. Um, you know, looking at the mm-hmm. infrastructure plan that he just put out, fixing our roads and bridges, um, getting people into some good jobs in, in the construction industry getting internet mm-hmm. access out there. I mean, those are great steps. We got to go big. Mm-hmm. Um, as a progressive, I believe that we have an opportunity right now to really, you know, impact every your everyday life. You know, kids had to go to school virtually, and a lot of those kids didn't have access to the internet. They had never had a computer in their home before. And so not only, you know, maybe your school district gave your kid a laptop, but that doesn't mean that somebody in the house knew how to use it. So so mm-hmm. we've got to deal with some of these realities that are going on in some of our most vulnerable communities, and that is going to take really big investment, really big effort, and, and progressives are pushing for that. Yeah. Now, you worked, of course, in, in, in the Bernie Sanders campaign, as you mentioned. Um, two, two of his principal issues, um, and, and issues that poll very well with the public, were Medicare for All, and the Green New Deal. Now, going forward, do you believe that there is a place for those issues 
in, in the Democratic Party in the near future as far as making them a reality, making them law? Oh, yeah. I really think that we can get there. You know, this pandemic has shown that access to health care should not be tied to your job. Mm-hmm. And at a time when more people than ever, when you look at how rapidly COVID-19 spread across this country and across this globe, you are more likely to need to go to the doctor. You might have you might have thought it was just a cold, uh, but it definitely could have been something worse because of this pandemic. And there were so many people, um, even even before the pandemic struck, that would have just a just a simple cold, and they could not go to the doctor to get seen, to get a Z-pack, to get you know just to get checked out. That's unfortunate, you know. It's, and it's twofold because a simple cold means. Uh, or, or flu-like symptoms could mean a day or two off work, and that could throw your whole budget off, you know, as a working mm-hmm. person in this country. Right. Um, but to be laid off of your job and to lose access to your health care and your family lose access to health care in this pandemic in, in what is the wealthiest country in the world is just really a shame. And so, you know, my, my personal story um, is that when I – I worked in corporate America for a very long time, had good benefits, I had great insurance, but I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to step out on my own, uh, you know, eight years ago. I had to leave my insurance behind in order to do that. And so when we think about um, access to health care, we really open people up to innovation. We open people up to entrepreneurship because some folks are, are stuck because they have uh, a medical history that requires them to be on certain medicines, and they can't make that choice. If I have to have my diabetes medicine, I've got to be on a job that's going to give me health care so I can afford it. Uh, otherwise, I might would leave and start my own company, uh, but I can't live without my medicine. So, you know, there are people that are having to make those decisions every day. I think that, that this pandemic shows, and, and the people have said that it's popular, it's something that they want. We just have to work toward it. Um, When it comes to the Green New Deal, I think that that Mother Earth has been very clear when you look at, again, Texas freezing over, fires in California and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, flooding in Nashville, um, Mm -hmm. uh, hurricanes and tornadoes, you know, climate change is something that we we cannot afford to ignore. And so the Green New Deal helps us um, you know, get off of oil and gas, invest in innovative technology, create jobs, help people retool into new careers. So it opens up the opportunity to retrain folks that might have been in an industry that, that has gone away. So there's a lot of great opportunity with the Green New Deal that we really need to break down and explore um, to help people understand why this shift is is just it's vital to our survival as a country. I mean, you know, the folks in Texas – just had a hard time because the infrastructure wasn't wasn't there, and we right. can do something about that. We can do something about that, and the Green New Deal gives us a pathway forward. All right, and with that, I'm going to send it back to David. Thank you, David. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, Kara, um, well, we've enjoyed having you on the show tonight, and before you go, we just wanted you to give our listeners ways to um, read more about you. You've talked about your paper site, but I know you're on other places on social media. Your firms have websites. Any, any ways people could um, 
you know, find more about your writings and political thoughts? Well, I am just grateful to have had the chance to spend this, this wonderful holiday with you all. Um, I am Kara Turrentine, CEO of Currency Political, one half of Black Brown Partners. You can reach me on Twitter at Kara Turrentine. Uh, visit us at uh, blackbrownpartners.com. We'd love to help you tell your story um, and, and help you win. So thank you guys so much for having me. Yes, and Kara, before you go, I want to apologize about your name. Maybe the one of the favorite principals I ever worked for, I teach K-12 school, was Steve Turrentine, and you spell it just the same. So I just assumed. So Kara Turrentine, I want to thank you for coming on the Kudzu Vine tonight. Thank you. I appreciate it. I look forward to so Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Kara Turrentine, a political consultant extraordinaire based in Tennessee but works, I guess, nationally um, is evidenced by her work on um, congressional campaigns in Ohio. Well, um, guys, we got a little more time, and so let's move on to something else. I'm sure there's going to be more that comes out of this voting bill. Unfortunately, we're going to be uh, probably talking about it in, unless the court strikes it down into uh, the 2020 election, but let's talk about Matt Gates, um, congressman from the Florida Panhandle. He likes to make news, and I don't know that he liked to make the news this week, did he, Catherine? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> so probably if you haven't heard, Catherine, tell us about what Congressman Gates um, has allegedly been up to in past uh, years, I guess we'd say. Well, he seems to um, have a, um attraction to uh, younger uh, – I, I guess we can't say just w- women, um, men and women, it seems, allegedly um, – I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, jokes about it, but let's just not forget that just these are, I mean, this one of the people that we're talking about is a 17-year-old young woman, and there's nothing funny about that. You know, he uh, allegedly sexually... Um, I don't know if she. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but th- this is not funny. This is a man with power uh, taking advantage of a young woman, and um, I, I, I grew tired of the jokes that I saw. Um, you know, just little insinuations, and uh, this is a, a serious uh, accusation about using power over someone that has very little power. So it's, um, it's a very serious accusation and I hope we can move on from the joke. Yeah. Catherine, I know what you mean. And I think it's because people have trouble taking Matt Gates seriously. Um, you know, when, when Roy Moore had similar accusations, I think people, reacted to actual accusations much more seriously. Matt Gates is just such a clownish figure um, that, that I think people are poking more fun at him than certainly what happened to these young ladies. Um, 
Well, and I'll tell you, um, and apparently he crossed state lines, which that really involves, you know, more than just one state's police force. The FBI gets involved at some point in that. And so it's really, really serious uh, accusations. But, Tim, somebody pointed out, like, you know, Matt Gates, he's kind of a favorite of QAnon. And QAnon, a lot of it really got going with Cosmic Pizza and the child trafficking scandal or insinuations, accusations um, surrounding Hillary Clinton and others. And, I mean, there was absolutely nothing to this pizza place, and I have no idea how you, you know, the former first lady, the former senator, the former secretary of state was involved in this pizza skate, uh, pizza place basement activity. I mean, it made no sense. Well, this is a situation where they have, you know, incidents that took place that are giving this more credence, and QAnon saying, oh, well, there's no there there. Uh, I mean, do you find this not baffling? Uh, I find it hypocritical and baffling. You know, the Republicans are right about all this. It just was them that was doing it. Uh, apparently good good grief you would think that a person like gates with a, a forehead that large would have a competent functioning brain you know behind that forehead uh one of his aides has resigned this, this is this is really sticking uh you you know i mean he paid a 17 year old girl allegedly of course to travel with him um and he paid other women apparently through an internet setup with a uh, another fellow down in Florida that um, was also an elected official down there, and, and and so yeah, the feds are looking at this because of of what Catherine mentioned about crossing state lines and stuff. We're talking about sex trafficking and prostitution laws now that that could have been violated. Um, my question is this, at what point will the Republicans cut him loose? Uh, can he survive, uh, and I'm talking about the Trump effect here, as long as somebody now seems to be of use to that party, they just seem to overlook uh the things that they have criticized in the past, don't they, such as this sort of behavior? Yeah, this is not Bob Livingston's uh, Republican Party anymore, and I want to refresh Bull's memory on that. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in 1998, uh, there was the impeachment proceedings going on of Bill Clinton that surrounded sex, a uh, sex scandal. And, of course, Newt Gingrich was given the boot, uh, the leadership, because he lost. And that's always the uh, the most impardonable sin, seemingly in politics, in particular Republican politics. But then he was replaced by Louisiana Congressman Bob Livingston. It came right. out that he had a sex scandal. Well, the Republicans, right. I guess, in many ways, to their credit, said if we're going to go after Bill Clinton on sex, we can't have our Speaker of the House, our top-ranking official, be involved in a sex scandal. We have to at least practice what we preach. Well, QAnon is just – they're the Republican Party, uh, a lot of it in many ways today, and, and they're obsessed with all this child trafficking, and now they've got Matt Gates 
And you would think somebody would have the good sense to turn this guy out quick and fast, and they're not doing it. And that really shows no. you in the last 20, 22 and years how it, the Republican Party's it, changed. It, it, is it what I said? Is it the Trump effect? He is of use to the National Republican Party right now, and as long as he remains of use to them, they're going to stick by him no matter what he's done, it, 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 no matter what outrage he's, he's uh, been involved in. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, well, what, to me what's crazy, and I'm going to make this one last point where I thought of Catherine, is I have a funny feeling in the Panhandle District of Florida, they could find somebody that agrees with 99% of the political agenda and would be willing to you know, knock over anybody that's between them and a camera to talk about it that is not yeah. – been involved with underage minors in a sexual way. I mean, they could get 99% of what they want with one thing that you would hope they would be dead set against. Catherine, your thoughts on Tim's question? Well, I, I, uh, I, I'm always mystified that that he's still. I mean, I'm mystified whenever these people continue to have support. I mean, yeah. after, like, I, I don't understand it. And it, I'd like to, I, I agree with you. They should be able to find somebody who meets their needs and does not have these um, terrible allegations against them. But. I I just question whether it's that important to them. Yeah, I mean, we shall see. It it um it just seems like the Republicans are attracted to these figures. We talked the other week um uh, with Dr. Dina May about uh the a lot of um uh Women politicians that are fitting a brand, well, it seems like the male politicians, same way they're having this interesting, or I don't say interesting, but this curious um, notion of getting these big star figures, no matter how buffoonish they are. Like I think I sent y'all um, Dan Rodarmer, or Rod- Rodarmer, I-, I don't know, I guess he, um, he um, ran for office in Nash, or, I'm sorry, in Nevada. And he was one person, and then now he's moved to the open district that Chip Roy um, is vacated. Um, I guess that was after his passing, wasn't it, uh, is why that district's opened up in Texas. And now he's completely changed his persona, and he's become some rodeo tough guy cowboy that is almost unrecognizable other than his height, I guess, to the guy that ran in Nevada. And it's one of these bigger, larger-than-life personalities. Now, obviously, this gentleman has not been accused of and very likely has not committed anything close to what Matt Gates has done. So I'm not comparing that part. I'm comparing the personality side. And this seems to be what the Republicans are drawn to. Wouldn't you say, Tim? Yeah, it would. But, but you know, honing in on Gates, this this guy went around with a 17-year-old girl that he paid to travel with him. And, and he's showing new pictures of his 
personal conquest, women that he apparently has slept with, on the floor of the house to, you know, his his uh, other congressional friends there. Uh, and and this the stunt he's pulling with this guy down in Florida on the internet, and and the little game, the sex games that he played when he was in the Florida legislature. You know what? We don't need a guy like that in Congress. This is not, this is not a good person. We, we we just don't need people like that in Congress. He has no business being in Congress. I don't care how much money he raises for Republicans. What he does for Trump, any of that. You know, at some point, you've got to say, you know what, this is a bridge too far, and this guy needs to go. And my question stands to the Republicans. Are are you going to just uh, let him sit there because he's abused to you, or are you going to cut him loose? I'm sick of guys like this, aren't y'all? Yes. Yes. Well, let's cut to the chase. We we just have a minute or two more. Let's say it. Um, Today's Easter. Next big holiday, I mean, obviously not anywhere as big as Easter, uh, but Memorial Day is the next big holiday, so we'll use that as the mark. Is Matt Gates in the House of Representatives on Memorial Day, Catherine? Yes or no? Yes. Tim? Yes. I'm going to be three for three, unfortunately, yes. And I think that shows the Republican Party is lacking accountability in this case. And and it's going to be the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do, but it's also going to be the right thing to do politically because if this guy does try to raise money for you, it's going to be a news story, and the candidate they're raising money for, they're going to have to spend all the money he raised to, you know, guard against the bad press that they got for having him come. And maybe they don't want him to come, uh, you know, at this point. He maybe is toxic um, in some districts because of this. But we know, like Tim, you're an ice congressman or congresswoman. She uh, stood by him, even though she's a big QAnon supporter. So um, she's as hypocritical as they come. (sighs) Yeah, well... Until next week, we'll thank uh, Kara Turntine, and until next week, it's been the Cozy Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Buddy. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world?